this weekend. Chris R. from the Ingram Solutions Group out of Texas and past general service trustee, Billy N. to get the workshop started this morning. I have asked Joy to read why we need a conference from page 40 in the AA service manual. Thanks, Jen. Joy Alcoholic. Why do we need a service conference on page 40 of the AA service manual? We may not need a conference, a general service conference, to ensure our own recovery. We do need it to ensure the recovery of the alcoholic who still stumbles in the darkness one short block from this room. We need it to ensure that recovery of a child being born tonight, destined for alcoholism. We need it to provide in keeping with our 12 steps a permanent haven for all alcoholics who in the ages ahead can find an AA that rebirth that brought us back to life. We need it because we more than all others are conscious of the devastating effect of the human urge for power and prestige, which we must ensure can never invade AA. We needed to ensure AA against government while insulating it against Anna. We needed to protect AA against disintegration while preventing overintegration. We needed so that Alcoholics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous alone is the ultimate repository for its 12 steps, its 12 traditions, and all of its services. We needed to ensure that changes within AA come only as a response to the needs and the wants of all AA, and not only a few. We needed to ensure that the doors of the halls of AA never have locks on them so that all people from all time who have an alcoholic problem may enter these halls unasked and feel welcome. We needed to ensure that Alcoholics Anonymous never asked of anyone that what his and her race is, what his or her creed is, what his or her social problem position is. Thank you, Joy. We will begin this morning with Tradition 8. Please help me to welcome Billy N. from the Tell It Like It Is group of Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Billy, the floor is yours for the next 30 minutes. Thank you for unmuting me. Uh, my name is Billy. I'm an alcoholic. Welcome back, everyone. Good morning. Hope you have a great day. Um, so I'm going to read the long form first. Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. We define professionalism as the occupation of counseling alcoholics for fee or hire, but we may employ alcoholics where they are going to perform those services for which we might otherwise have to engage non-alcoholics. Such special services may be well recompensed, but are usually a 12-step work is never to be paid for. So I'll say this out of the box. There's no more hate mail I get than when I talk about Tradition 8. Um, it is a very, very sensitive topic in Alcoholics Anonymous in 2022 and probably for the last 20 years. I do, if you do have your traditions illustrated in front of you, I do want to quickly go back um, because there's kind of a line in the Tradition 6 section of the Traditions Illustrated that if it was a book, you would say foreshadows talks about what we're going to be talking about in the future. And um, I just want to read in the third, in the second paragraph on that first page of the sixth tradition. 
It says, though the ambitious center failed, some individual members have since funded successful clubhouses, rent farms, halfway houses, etc. The enterprises are run by these AAs and patronized by other members or prospective members. But money and property are involved. Therefore, it proved wise to keep the operation of the facility completely separate from that of any AA group and to keep AA or terms like 12th step out of the name. So what it is saying there is it's talking about the facility or the business, not the person. So it's a very clear delineation. Um, it says, uh, therefore, it is wise to keep the operation of these facilities completely separate from the money of any AA group. And then it says, keep terms like uh, 12-step out of the name. So now we get to eight. And the reason eight is trouble is because we're talking about people, not organizations. We're actually not talking about an AA group not running something. We're talking about the conduct of AA members. And that is what gets us into uh, some debate for sure. Um, so I, again, I want to be very clear and start off with this. How could I be anti-treatment center if my very life depended on a place called Towns Hospital in 1934? I mean, wouldn't that be ludicrous? I mean, it would be insanity. Bill W. went to Towns Hospital more than once. Towns Hospital specialized in the treatment of alcoholics. Bill W. had a spiritual experience there. The chief medical officer of Towns Hospital wrote a part of the book that I consider part of my favorites, the doctor's opinion. So I am not anti-treatment center or anti-professional at all. Now, I may be glad that on the day Bill got let out, there was no such thing as recovery coaches or paid sponsors. That's true. I am very glad that that didn't exist. But that has nothing to do with me having nothing but the utmost respect for professional professionals of all types. The eighth tradition illustrated has some of the best writing, I think. Um, again, I have it in my hand. I know it doesn't have page numbers on it. Um, but in the second paragraph, it says this. It became clear to the early members that no AA should ever ask or accept payment for carrying this message to somebody else, person to person and face to face. Very clear to me. We don't charge for our AA work. We don't charge for 12-step work. We don't charge for sponsorship. None of that. And then it goes on to talk about, but new questions arose as memberships grew and the word of hope spread. The first intergroups of central offices were usually manned by AA volunteers. Now most offices are so busy that full-time employees are needed as well. Naturally, AAs are better suited to such jobs than our non-members. But these AAs then being paid for doing 12-step work? No. In the office, they're just paving the way for this work. 
A lot of times we talk about the general service office. The general service office does not do 12-step work. They facilitate 12-step work. There is a huge difference between doing it and facilitating it. They make sure we have the literature for our 12-step work. They make sure we have workbooks and guidelines and uh, shared experience from people doing treatment work panels up in Alaska to all the way down in Key West and everywhere in between. But they don't do the 12-step work themselves. Even if you called 212-870-3400, if you called that number and they answered the AA General Service Office and you told them you were an alcoholic who needed help stop drinking, they would ask you, where do you live? Are you in New York? Let's put you in touch with New York Intergroup. Let's talk about New York Intergroup for a second. Bob R., may he rest in peace, was a manager, executive secretary, they called it, of that office a long time ago. And he used to explain to people that when he was in that office, he did not answer the hotline. That's a volunteer's job. Only a volunteer can help an alcoholic calling who needs help. His job was to do work for the committees, arrange committee meetings, arrange the intergroup meetings, make sure the schedules and meeting books are printed on time. In the early days of website, being on the front end of having a website, that was Bob's job. But not to do 12-step work. That was a volunteer answering the phone's job. Um, It goes on to say the employees, both AA and non-alcoholic, are paid on a scale comparison that in profit-making enterprises so that the office can function dependably, dependably. And the AA staff members are in exactly the same position as the AA intergroup employees. I love this little paragraph right here. Suppose you drop in at GSO one day when you're in New York. Staff members who pause to chat with you may have been working on next year's conference or corresponding with a group in your home area, helping it to carry the message more effectively. For that, they are paid bi-weekly checks. But you may also hear them mention to other staff members plans for taking a newcomer to a meeting in the evening or for giving an AA talk to a neighborhood group the next week. For that, they are paid only with their own continuing sobriety. The two have nothing to do with each other. That's why we don't thank people who work at the office for their service. That's not AA service. That's a job. We thank them for being a great employee. We thank them for, thank them for their hard work for the fellowship. But service in AA falls to those not getting paid. Um, and it goes on to say, In these office jobs and other assignments, members are actually paid for their business and professional skills. And it talks about being well recompensed, and I want to talk about that. Um, Well recompensed means well paid. And we have a tendency to be cheap. We have a tendency to not want to pay people fairly. And I can tell you that only blows up in our face. If you pay someone who should be getting $20 an hour, $10 an hour, eventually they're going to feel 
like they're not being treated well. Eventually, they're going to be feel like, how else should they be paid? Where I've seen this blow up in real life is when somebody who's working for AA says, well, you don't pay me enough, so my thoughts should count more. The way I believe on this issue should have more weight than yours because I work here for nothing. Whenever we do that, we put ourselves in a huge, huge jam. Um, where does the problem with this tradition come? So let me talk about what I really don't like to talk about. What's life like in 2028? Uh, 2022 is 23, sorry. Um, there's a strong, strong word in the beginning of the 12 and 12 on page 168, strong paragraph in the first paragraph. The sentence says, we have discovered that at the point of professionalism, money and spirituality do not mix. Almost no recovery comes from alcoholism has ever been brought by the world's best professionals, whether medical or religious. We do not decry professionalism in other fields, but we accept the sober fact that it does not work for us. Every time we have tried to professionalize our 12 step, the result has been exactly the same. Our single purpose has been defeated. It goes on to say this, and this is where it gets confusing. And let me just go to my AA comes of age for a second. I'll give you the page number. On page 115 of AA comes of age, at the top it says, really at the bottom of 114, we have gained some understanding of the ancient words, freely you have received, freely give. Very strong words. On page 117, second paragraph, our years of experience tell us the answer is no. Members who select full-time careers do not professionalize AA's 12-step. The road to this conclusion was long and rocky. So what's the problem in today's world? Well, the problem is today's world is there are certain places that exist that are not medical facilities, that are not treatment centers. What they tell the outside world that you're paying for is to go through the 12 steps of AA or another program. Now, inherently, if the AA members own that facility and they're not doing the 12-step work, there's nothing wrong with that. The literature talks about it farms and rest areas and things like that there's nothing wrong with that if what you're doing if i decided to open a place in florida if my job was paying the bills receiving the money making sure people have a safe and clean and healthy place to live making sure there's adequate meeting space for the meetings that are held there that's fine. But the minute I would get involved in 12-step work at that facility as an AA member, I'm overstepping on Tradition 8. 
Now, there are many counselors I know who are very good at this. They don't define what they do at work as 12-step work. They say they're there as a professional counselor, as it should be. But there are websites all over the world where people are saying what they're getting paid for is 12-step work. Another little slippery slope here is sponsorship. If you're a counselor, and I want to stress that, a counselor, if you are providing counseling, that's what we define as professionalism, the counseling of, for fear for hire, should you be sponsoring places, people, in the same place that you counsel people? The tradition says no. The tradition says that you're crossing a line there. Now, if you're not a counselor, then it's then that's not we de- what we define as professionalism. I get that sometimes in our kind of overzealous love for Alcoholics Anonymous, it's easy for someone to maybe think, oh, well, I don't want a treatment center. I just want to supply AA or, or NA or some 12-step fellowship. And your motives could be completely pure. But if that's the case, then you should stay on the administration side of that business. Now, it says in Tradition 6, we should stay away from the name 12-step. says that. I've often, I've had the experience of talking to a lot of great people who work in the industry. It's almost no different than being a corrections officer or a sheriff's guard. There's a lot of common practical sense in these traditions. That's while someone is under the custody or care of a facility, better for anyone in AA who works at that facility not to have an AA relationship with that person. Especially, again, I'm going to go back to what the tradition says. I don't want to add words. We define professionalism as the occupation of counseling alcoholics for fee or hire. Are you a counselor? Are you paid to be an administrator? Or are you paid to counsel? And if you're paid to counsel, that is separate work than AA work. Now, I know, believe me, I love recovery houses, the ones that do the right job, who provide a foundation of food, shelter, and clothes so that the other foundation in a 12-step fellowship, that person, they don't have to worry about food, shelter, or clothes. They can become an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous with a home group, with a sponsor. In my experience, it has not been a good idea when people who work at a recovery house sponsor people who live there. The lines become too blurry. When are you an AA member? When are you an employee? You know, and I really want to say this because I want to really reach out to those who work in this industry is I can't imagine how hard it is. 
I can't imagine how heartbreaking it is. I mean, we talk about Al-Anon and we all probably, some of us, even if not in Al-Anon, have people we care about in our family or friends who've been crippled by this disease. It's heartbreaking. Imagine if you go to work every day and your heart is broken 20 times over every day. I know how I am. I will wear you down eight hours a day if you have to put up with me for eight hours a day. I am going to test every possible means of your patience. I am not going to be an easy person for you to have to be around eight hours a day. So I can only imagine how difficult it is to work in this profession, but to also have your life depend on 12 Steps and Alcoholics Anonymous. And the people I know, and uh, this comes from people with, you know, a lot of times in AA, it's not our success stories that help people. I mean, Chris talked about that little and a couple of the questions talked about it. It's usually not our successes with people that help them the most. What usually helps them the most is our failures. What usually helps them the most is us telling, you know what? I thought I did. I was going to do that too. I thought I was smarter than everyone else too. I thought I could get around that too. And you know what happened? It blew up in my face. It completely blew up in my face. That's what really helps people. That's just the kind of people we are. But I've talked to people in this industry. It's very sad when I see someone in the industry who leaves the fellowship and has tragic consequences. And so my advice as a regular member of AA is, you know, when you see someone in a meeting, please exercise tradition three. Don't treat them different because they work somewhere. Don't treat them different if they're a cop or a counselor. A teacher or they work in a recovery house. Exercise tradition three. And if they're an alcoholic, just treat them as a fellow alcoholic. Have the same patience and tolerance that you would have for anyone else. But don't be afraid because this is a safety issue. Don't be afraid to throw up the red flag. Don't be afraid to throw up the BS flag. I can't say that word in an AA meeting. If someone is using AA to further their recovery business, don't be afraid to tell people it's wrong. You don't need to talk badly to them or anything else, but the newcomer hands me a card and says somebody gave them to this in AA. I don't care if you're an insurance agent or a recovery coach. I'm going to tell the newcomer to throw it away. That's not what we do in AA. Be very careful on digital meetings. Newcomers are being preyed upon. I told the story yesterday of somebody who called me in almost tears because their sponsee was just about to Venmo $7,000. And this gets me in trouble. It does. All you had to do is go to the first Founders Day during COVID 
where my inventory got taken publicly for like three minutes because of my comments about professionalism and Alcoholics Anonymous is unfortunately we have big sponsorship families and big sponsorship lineages. And sometimes you say one thing and maybe one person in that sponsorship family is doing that. And I don't need to go on a tirade about people personally, but for me in my own AA life, I can choose to not take part in it. If you've written a book about recovery, that's your own business. If you're telling people from an AA podium and selling it in the lobby and signing copies, well, that's my business. That is not okay. If you've made calendars that people in recovery like, that's great. But that shouldn't be a part of your AA talk or you shouldn't be selling it in the lobby of AA conventions. And so sometimes, and this is really difficult, our ego does not want to be bruised. But I just won't be around it anymore. Once I see it, I just don't go to those places again. Um, and, and let's talk about flyers here for a second and, and AA meetings. You could be the most celebrated professional in any walk of life. If you're speaking at an AA event, you can't be there as both. You're either one or the other. Now, it might come to terms that you're a judge. Maybe you're a judge in a DWI or a drug court. Maybe an AA service committee has asked you to come there as a judge there's nothing wrong with that but just keep it separate professionalism you can't sell something that you got for free so that's it thanks for having me out today have a great day Thank you so much, Billy. Speaking on steps eight and nine, please help me to welcome Chris R. from the Ingram Solutions Group. Chris, the floor is yours for the next 50 minutes. Yay. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you all for showing back up. And uh, I bet your butts are sore. I'm just saying. <laughs> God, mine is. Honored to be here. Again, my name is Chris R. I'm a recovered alcoholic from Ingram, Texas. And uh, I uh, tickled to death to be here. I got a, uh, a phone call from a friend of mine. He, he, we were laughing this morning. He was on here and he was, he was laughing because I didn't mention this, but I, I make a one real quick little detour, go back. Uh, somebody had asked me to, with the longest fifth step I ever did, folks, was three hours. And this guy was certifiable. Okay, so that that was it. Most of the fifth steps that I do are are hour and a half, two hours long. So if you're one of those that are sitting there letting somebody talk for ten hours, God bless you. But you're taking <laughs> the most selfish and self centered person on earth, the alcoholic. Okay, and you're letting him talk for ten hours. You you, you misunderstood what this book is is asking us to do. I'd like I, you you deserve a purple heart. Just okay, just. 
I'm not going to do it. You know, this is a fact-finding mission, guys. We're going to get to the cut to the chase and, and uh, help him see his truth. And if and if he's rambling for that long, you're not going to see any truth. You're just going to see a bunch of justification. So my experience, bless you. Uh, we were laughing about it this morning. I thought I'd share it. I uh, I want to mention, uh, we're going to talk for this 50 minutes. I got my little clock watch there. And um, uh, steps eight and nine are, are listed, um, page 76 to 84 in the big book. It's eight and a half pages. Bill Wilson does a, a masterful job of kind of outlining um it, just about every area that you you know would might have a question on. I mean, Bill Wilson did a really good job with this, and and if you read it specifically, uh, it's it's uh, it'll answer most of your questions. What I'm going to try to do this morning in the 50 minutes that I've got with you, I'm going to give you some examples of some stuff that I did. Uh, I think when I start just going down a list of way to do it, y'all seem tend to to go to sleep. And when I talk about this, you'll you'll stay a little little bit more awake. Uh, and maybe you can identify with some of the experience that I've had making these amends. Because I spent a whole bunch of years out there um, not um, not doing this deal. You know, again, I'm not making an amends. And, and I've, I'm setting meeting after meeting. Still to this day, I hear people when I'm visiting other groups, whatever, and hear people talk about, you know, uh, my sponsor wouldn't let me make any amends until I'd been sober a year. And they all have seemingly good reasons for that it just it contradicts what the big book is saying when when i when i'm doing that fifth step remember i divided that little sheet up then i got six step stuff on one side and eight step on the other i'm steady making little notes excuse me we got cedar in the in the hill country and i'm i'm just every once in a while i uh the putting these these names of these people coming off this resentment inventory. A lot of these people I owe amends to. And I'm going to, once we do that and they do six and seven, they do a little seven step prayer that we're going to go back through this little list and we're going to organize this, this eight step uh, uh, list, kind of put it in priorities, prioritize the list. And I want to talk a little bit about it. I want y'all to do me a favor though, because I'll forget and I want to make sure that I don't. And uh, you can play with this if you want to. This takes 10 seconds, guys. I want y'all to take an oath with me. You got to promise. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. That's it. I promise. I promise not to make any amends, not to make any amends until I talk to somebody about it first. Yay. (laughs) Buddies, the only thing worse than making an amend once is making it twice. And yeah, and that's no fun. And you can screw this up, okay? But I'm saying a lot of people just, you know, sometimes they'll go off half cocked. And that's why I'm saying, even me today, I'm 35 years sober. If I'm going to make an amend, I'll call my sponsor or I'll call one of the guys I'm sponsored. I'm going to bounce it off somebody to make sure my motives are okay. Because I don't want to cause more harm by doing this than I'm than I'm doing good. And that's what we, we, you know, what's what we got to look at. This little eight step list, why I said put it in order, because there's some amends that, that I might be able to put off for a little while. If I don't have the money, uh, the book talks about making a first approach. And I'm, I'm, uh, um, I just think it's important that we do that. But in the same breath, some of this stuff I'm going to absolutely have to do, um, if you've got legal stuff out there, folks, it's time to make, we got to make these amends. we got to clean this mess up quick. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've 
Uh, I had a home group member one time that got arrested at two years sober because he had some outstanding stupid tickets. I said, but whoa, 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 what was, you know, oh, well, you know, I was going to get to those downstream. No, get to those first, you know, because you're this whole idea of how free do you want to be? I'm not going to be looking over my shoulder, worried about a cop every time he's behind me, you know, and it's like indebtedness. You know, some of this stuff, when I owe money, I'm going to organize my this little eight step list. What I'm going to do from that list is I'm going to prioritize it. I use these little index cards, these little lined four by five index cards. And I'm going to put each person, group of people, whoever I'm making amends to on one card. And uh, I'm going to put one their name and I'm going to put their address and phone number, you know, what I think I owe them you know, so that I can keep organize it. And then I could just put them in an order of appearance. I keep these things with me. I tell my sponsees to keep them in a glove compartment, <laughs> keep them in their briefcase, purse, whatever. You know, call them around out of sight, out of mind, guys. You stick them in a notebook, stick them in the closet. Two years from now, you'll still be sitting on these amends. And I, I just, yeah. Here's a piece I want you to look at. Any, any area over here, my experience, that I'm not being, uh, that I haven't made amends to, that I'm not being, uh, not cleaning up that wreckage, I, it's going to affect me over here. You know that old expression, what goes around comes around? Yeah, it it does. I got people all over alcohol. I'm going to sponsor a sea of guys that were struggling financially. And we got in there and start looking. Oh, my gosh, you, there's some financial amends you haven't made over here. Then you start making these financial amends, and all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you start getting a bunch of money in over here. They're connected. And you can sit here and nod your head if you want to or, you know, shake it. And that's not true. I'm just t- telling you, it's it's the truth. Relationship stuff over here, you make that amend, and I guarantee you, your relationships over here are going to get better. It's it's all spiritual. It's all connected. So that's why we want to go ahead and get it. And I think with a good sponsor, you can sort this stuff out and figure out which ones to do first. And um, understanding that what we're trying to do here is we're trying to clean off our side of the street. Sometimes the folks that I'm making amends to come and make amends to me too. You know, it happens often, folks. It did. It did for me. I got to tell you, uh, sometimes it doesn't. And uh, I, I'm gonna. I'll talk a little bit about it. I want to mention real quick the eight-step list. Um, uh, Don P. that um, uh, Billy had mentioned yesterday was a guy in our sponsorship lineage and uh, my sponsorship lineage. Anyway, he wonderful guy. God dang it. He's out of Denver, got sober over there, and a whole bunch of them got sober together, working the steps, and uh, he was spectacular. If any of you guys go online, I can send you the websites. But, you know, the speaker stuff, just try to find some Don P's out of out of Colorado. And uh, he, he and he talked about this often, guys. He talks about this willingness. This was an old Grapevine article that he wrote, but he talks about the willingness. And, and I understood that one of the things he talks about is that um, if this God were truly loving and merciful, as it appeared, he would not keep me in bondage simply because I couldn't find these people to make restitution. Just the willingness to go make that amend, I guarantee you, you're going to see some freedom around it. There's nothing like sitting across the table from somebody and making an amend and getting that cleared up. I got that. But it takes some time for some of us. And of course, back in the day when I was getting sober, we didn't have this thing called the faith book. And, and now I'm telling you, you not being able to find somebody, you 
you better have a good story because it's probably not true. You know, I'm just saying, you know, uh, people that I don't even like are going to find me. I guarantee you. So just, but if you can't, this willingness alone is going to get you some relief going in the door. And that's, again, what this is all about as far as I'm concerned. It's not making the mistake that kills us. It's defending it that does the damage. And boy, I tell you, when I got here, got sober, I, I, I had a lifetime of, of mistakes that I continue to defend. And that's the only way that you can screw up any of these amends. If you sit across the table from somebody and start arguing with them, it sounds like this. Well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't have done this. Just stop. If, if that's the best you can do, just don't. Y'all, y'all, I say, you want to be right? Are you are you are you want to are you want to get well here? I go back to the old justice and mercy, folks. I've made some mistakes. My job is just to try to clean off my side of the street. And the toughest part of making these amends is you got to sit there and listen for a bit. You got to be quiet and listen to what they've got to say. I had a um, um, my first wife when I got sober. Um, she didn't want to have anything to do with my men's. I contacted her right off the bat and uh, no, thank you, goodbye. And um, I've tried several times and it wouldn't work. And um, uh, I was about thirty. 13 years sober, I guess. And I was doing a talk over in Houston and um, I was, uh, I was with Mark H, my first sponsor, sponsored me for like 17 years. And and uh, we were going to do this little workshop and I was there and I knew her brother was there. So I got there at the, at the beautiful motel six, nothing but the best for Chris Raymer. And um, I'm, uh, um, you know, I, I tried to call, call him and, and, and ask if it would be possible for me to make amends to her, if he could put us in touch. And he said, Jesus, you know, I'll try, but I don't think she'll see you, but I'll talk to her. And uh, anyway, I went and did a little workshop with Mark and we came back. It was about 10 o'clock at night, came back, my little light in the room was flashing. Uh, this is before cell phones, folks. Yeah. God, I'm getting old. Anyway. And they had, uh, uh, I called her and uh, she said, the message had said, call me. I'm going to be up late anyway. Just it's okay. The conversation, I don't know. She said, you know, I, I don't know what it was. You know, if you had asked me last week, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, maybe next week I wouldn't either. But if you want to stay over tomorrow, uh, uh, we can, uh, I can spend some time with you. We can go to dinner. And uh, I said, okay. It was pretty cool. God was all over this. Y'all understand? I mean, timing was everything. And I, I canceled the flight and I stayed in Houston over the day, you know, next day and, and, um, and went and had dinner with her and, uh, we're in this crowded restaurant and I'm trying to talk to her and, and I, I know what I need to make amends to her for. I got it. I've known this for 13 years and, uh, I made the amends to her and, uh, I got to tell you guys, and some of y'all have seen this and she, she's a sweetheart guys. She shouldn't have been treated the way I treated her. I got to tell you that. And, uh, she uh, uh, she took her little finger and slid the salad plate aside. And she said, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. And she said, I've been in Al-Anon for years. And and uh, I just wanted to tell you real quick, um, you don't have a clue what you did to me. And then she told me. And it brought tears to my eyes. I had to sit there and listen to it and not defend it.
and we got up and hugged and visited for a few more minutes and that was it. Guys, I've got her number. If I needed her, I'm sure I could call her. We're not friends, but I'll tell you what happened. She stopped taking up a place in my head. It was, a, it was something. I think the point of that story for me is be persistent. There's a difference between being persistent and stalking. Okay. And I see that a lot of times in Alcoholics Anonymous too. I got a sea full of guys that want to do that. Funny what it is about these young guys that I'm sponsoring. The first thing they want to do is they want to go make amends to every girl they ever dated. What, what, what? Check your motives. You know, if you owe them amends, you owe them amends. But I mean, check your motives. You know, and it's this ambush deal. They're over there knocking on the girl's door at five o'clock at dinner time with her, her new husband and kids in there. Y'all, 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 and now he wants to make an amend. That ain't how we do this, folks. You call, you set up an appointment, you make sure that it's okay, and then you go do that. Because I don't want to make the rest of the family uncomfortable because I've got to do this. It's just, it's transparency. If I'm going to go make amends to somebody from my past, I'm going to let my wife know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to sneak down to the coffee shop and meet with this girl. Y'all, why? Why cause more harm? It's just nuts. And I, you know, I'm going to set up an appointment, and we're going to do this in public, and um, and it works good. I got a quote. Sometimes you don't realize the weight of something you've been carrying until you feel the weight of its release. Don't know who said it, but it's great. Ought to be in the big book because it's because it's the truth. A lot of you guys are all weighted down. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. Then start making these amends and you will feel it. And I got to tell you, when I did my fourth and fifth step, guys, I remember driving home after my fifth step. And I remember for the first time, I didn't see the sky open up and, you know, the sun being for Jesus and all that. I didn't, I, I didn't, what I felt was for the first time being actually a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I felt like I was on the path, solid. I got to tell you when the spiritual experience started happening, when I started making my first approach, when I started calling credit card companies and I started making amends to some, some, some folks, the the weight started lifting off my shoulders. It's pretty, pretty special. And I've watched a bunch of people do it. On page 77, real quick, guys, there was this, uh, there's a little line in there. And I'll, it says, our real purpose is to be a maximum service to God and the people about us. See, I want to make the amends so that I can be free. But the truth of the matter is, I love that line in there with Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson talks about going to any length, several places in there. But on this particular point, he says, our real purpose of making these amends so that I can be a maximum service to, to God and the people around me. I can't help others if, if I'm, a, I'm a bundle of nerves and fear hiding in my apartment because I'm afraid to get out. And that's, that's how some of these people, I watch them come out of treatment. I watch them sitting in the halfway out. They're just, you know, they can't help anybody. I'll tell you a quick story. I was, um, there were some amends I got to tell you that I was never going to make because I was never going to come back to the hill country. And um, they were a long way away, out of sight, out of mind. And I'm just going to leave it alone. And uh, but again, it was one of these guys. Uh, I had a little uh, catering company when I lived here before, and uh, I was in the food business. And I went into business with a local businessman, and he was a wonderful guy. Him and his family were just sweethearts. And uh, went into this business, and we uh, made a little money, but not much. And I left drunk one night, went back to Houston, Texas, and, and allowed uh, just left him holding the holding the business. I just 
just walked away. He's just not working for me. And I just, anyway, I called him afterwards and told him I'd help, you know, cover up the expenses. And he says, no, we got it. No, never, just don't worry about it. And hung up on me. But this was a guy that I, I loved and respected. And ended up back in the hill country. Uh, this is a small little town here, folks. It's like, y'all can do it in the bigger cities. Y'all may, you know, never see these people ever. In a small town like this, sooner or later, Walmart, you, you follow your baskets, you're going to turn the corner, bam, and you're going to be right face to face with that person. That's that's the way small town works. And um, I did. so right after I got back to town, I went and made him, I was going to track this guy down and I had my little card. I knew what I was going to do. And, uh, and I, and I had it off and uh, I walked into his office and I could see him back there at his desk. He's a big old guy. And uh, I'm talking to the little receptionist and I asked if I could possibly see, uh, see the guy and uh, I won't use his name. And I could see him back there and he's looking at me like that. And he just looked down, just like just shaking his head. And he's just, you know, obviously not thrilled to see me. And he did like this. And she let me back and back. And I walked back and I says, hi, how you doing? And stuck my hand out. He just looked up. He says, what? What do you want? Hey. Well, you know, and I told him, I left you holding the bag with this stupid business and you know I, I'm sorry and I had a little money and and I'd be glad to help pay this off and you know I can't pay you everything but I you know I try I'll work a deal with you if I can and and uh, I just want to clean that up if I possibly can. Guys I better tell you he stood up and I'm looking up at him like that and he said here's what you can do to make this right. Go away. If you see me in town walk on the other side of the of, of the road. I don't ever see you again. I'll punch you in the nose if I do. I mean, he was pissed. Okay, but, and I left, went out to the truck, tore my little sheet up like that. Boy, I'm feeling AA's love now. Boy, that went well. You know, I was like, yeah. But it was about two months later, I get a call from him. This is before caller ID, but I recognized his voice when I got on the other end of the phone. And he asked me, he says, hey, is this, is this Chris? And I said, yes. And he says, are you still taking them AA classes? <laughs> I says, yes, sir. And I, he said, you remember my son? And I said, which one? You got three. I said, yeah, the one you drank with. Yes, sir. Anyway, it turned out there was a car wreck in town. It was an accident. And uh, he was hoping that maybe I could go uh, talk to his son and maybe help him. You better believe it. I got I got pulled in the. I was able to go see him in jail. I was able. Y'all understand? Got him to meetings. I don't know where he is now. He stayed sober for a long time. I just lost track of him. Understand this, guys. Do you think this guy would have asked me to help had I not called him? Again, you have no idea what happens. You put some good stuff out there in the universe and see what comes back. And I was able to help this guy. And I guarantee you, the amend was made. Today, when I see him in town, he's as he's old as I am, got older. And I see him in town in a restaurant. We see if we can, we, we see who can beat each other paying the other's bill, you know, is for buying on lunch. And that's just, that's the way it is, buddy. Uh, repaired relationships. That's exactly what that is. 
One of the things that we're going to try to do always, guys, is to try to make the amend in person. Um, I want to suggest very strongly, just from experience, that you don't use email to make an amend. Um, there is a documented evidence. Of, I can name you a hundred stories where those emails showed up in court. So, yeah, I think uh, John Grisham did a book called The Associate that was written about a guy that was trying to make an amends like that through email and ended up in court. And uh, I knew the guy that sponsored it. It's just, it's not a really good idea. You got to send a letter. Maybe they'll open it up. If it's, a, if it's an email, nine times out of 10, they'll just delete it. So if you can make the amend in person, if you made, you know, just that's the way to do it. Make an appointment, set it up. Don't no ambushes and sit down across from them. Sometimes folks, you can't make these things in person. You know, this face to face. My twin brother and I had a buddy of mine uh, uh, that uh, he knew up in Dallas and was in struggling trying to make an amend. And he, he wanted to make amends to his ex-wife. And uh, there was a little domestic disturbance uh, thing that happened. And uh, he tried to talk to her about this amend. And she said, you know, what part of a restraining order don't you understand? He wasn't supposed to contact this woman. And um, and he tried, you know, and she said, don't listen, don't no, don't contact me again or I'll, you know, I'll call the cops. We're done. You know, it's, it's OK. He says, but I still can't get it out of my head. I'm still driving me crazy. And I guess Myers instructed him and I, I talked to him at one time. Uh, Myers knew a, a facility up there and uh, maybe you, you could do some volunteer work at another place. Again, guys, in the spiritual world, understand that we're all connected. It says, if you can't make the amend directly to the person, maybe you can make an amend off here to the side. I had an old boss one time that used to say, he says, sometimes there's more than one way to tell a guy his sister's ugly. Y'all think about that for a minute, okay? I'm just saying, it's the, it's the truth. He, uh, there was a, a home, uh, uh, a shelter for battered women up in the Dallas area. And Myers knew the lady that owns it. And uh, he called uh, these folks to see if there was any volunteer work that this guy could do. Y'all follow? He he was divorced, restraining order because of an assault. And so Myers thought that this would be, and I think that's just, I mean, brilliant. So maybe you could do some volunteer at this home, at this shelter. And, uh, Turns out that uh, this guy was an uh, air conditioner guy and the lady was on the other end of the phone. She said, oh, my God, she says, our AC has been out for a couple of days now and we don't have the money to fix it. And uh, he said, well, I got this hooked up. And so they put the they connected them. And this guy went over there on his own time and fixed that lady's air conditioner for that shelter. Then he went back over there every six months and did service work on that shelter, on that AC unit. Yeah. Do do any of y'all not think that that amend wasn't made perfectly? I mean, you can't make it direct like this, but you can make it over here. All I'm doing is trying to put some good stuff out in the universe. Guys, if you can't make direct amends like that financially, why don't you donate to the boys club or the, I don't know, some charity of, of your, of your choice. It's not your money. Anyway, you stole it. It, it, I guarantee you it works. Face-to-face is best, but if you can't, guys, I got to tell you, there's always a second way to do that. And um, I got to, yeah, there's a little sheet that I can send you to specifically that kind of outlines all of this. And, and uh, 
it's <laughs> it uh yeah Bill Wilson again gets pretty specific and these are lines just straight out of those eight and a half pages that you can you can read and uh I don't know what it is uh about EVs and little alcoholic. I, I don't know. I can't tell you how many times I've gone with a sponsee to make amends at Lowe's, you know, Home Depot or Walmart, uh, where they stole property, TVs. Most of the little alcoholics I'm running around with these days are also, you know, other outside issues that they deal with too. And, you know, and the whole thing, it's all kind of in, in this regard, it's like, you still got to clean it up. And, uh, and, um, my experience is, you know, you go to one of these companies and you talk to management and you explain what you're doing. Um, it's it's important. And uh, nine times out of 10, I've never known anybody get arrested to doing this. Most of them, they've already written it off. It just complicates their books. They'll let you go. But if I stole a TV for $250, y'all understand, and the company won't take their $250 back, that's not my money. I still need to give that $250 to somebody. Spiritual, I'm guys. I'm just saying, you don't have to believe that. You know, I go, ooh, I, I dodged that one. You know, I still got to clean it up. I had a uh, one other real quick little example. Uh, uh, when I was out there drinking back in the day, uh, I had a brother-in-law who I loved dearly uh, had lent me a. Um, left-handed bow. I am right-handed, but y'all might have noticed that I can't see out of my right eye. Uh, so I was shooting targets with a left-handed bow and he let me let me borrow it. And um, I ended up, I kept it forever and I ended up selling it for money. I got short-handed and um, <clears throat> sold it. And, um, uh, and when I got sober, <clears throat> excuse me, I went to him and uh, tried to make amends for that. And I wanted to clean up my wreckage there. And he said, Chris, listen, let me just tell you, don't, don't worry about that. I, I don't need it. And uh, uh, you can make amends to me. Just You just stay sober, you know, and, that, and that, that's good enough. And I thought, well, okay. And I'm going, whoo, well, that's good. You know, that's great. But you see, what happened was that for the rest of my time with this guy, um, there was always something wrong. Uh, we'd go to his house and and they'd be out there smoking. All the guys would be out there laughing. And and uh, my twin brother, he didn't smoke, but he'd be out there talking about hunting and fishing and stuff. Uh, uh, my brother-in-law's a big, big, uh, big hunter and fisher. And and, I, and I'd get a cigar and go out there and I'm going to smoke with him, you know, and I'd get out there and light my cigar up there like that. And, and he'd look at me for a second like that and put his cigarette out, half, half smoked cigarette and put it out and said, listen, I got to get in and help, help with the dishes, you know, or whatever. And he'd leave and I'm sitting there looking well, what? But this happened over and over. every holiday. This happened often. It was obvious he didn't want me around. My twin brother got invited to go fishing. I didn't get invited. There was obviously there was a problem. And I could sense this. So one of the things I did was I knew the, the bow cost. I sold it for $200. And uh, when uh, Patty and I got married uh, up in Dallas, I took... Uh, I stopped at the Bass Pro Shop and got a $200 gift certificate in this guy's name and uh, stuck it in my, in my coat pocket. And he was going to be at the wedding and I got married and uh, it was a, a nice small wedding. And, and uh, I could see him out front and he's, he's smoking with the guys out in front of the house. And, and I, uh, 
I got me a little cigar stuck in there and I got my little gift. Anyway, I walked out and sure enough, I got about five feet out of that door like that. And he put his cigarette out. He said, boy, that was a nice wedding, Chris. And he walked right by me and says, and I said, I got it just in time to stop him from going in. I said, could you just stop for just 10 seconds? And let me visit with you. He looked back for a second and said, sure. And I pulled that little gift certificate out of my pocket and I gave it to him. And I said, you know, about that bow. And I says, I know we've just never been quite the same since. And I just wanted to give you this and thank you. Uh, I got plenty of money today, guys. I'm walking on a spiritual path. Y'all understand it? There's, I, I got it. There's no hardship for me to do that. I just thank you for, for always being there. And I gave him that gift certificate and he opened it up, looked at it and he says, damn. I said, I says, buddy, go buy you something you don't need. You know, and he he laughed and put it in his pocket. Um, he reached in his pocket and got his cigarettes out and lit a cigarette. I want to cry every time I think about it. Yeah. We sat out there and visited about something stupid forever. I don't remember. You know, we're thick as thieves today. I'd take a bullet for this guy. And that relationship, was. if you think something is still not okay, guys, sometimes this takes time. I understand it. But if you can address it. You, you can address it. It's just that simple. I can't force somebody to, to, to accept an amend or take it, listen to it. But I can uh, absolutely, um, you know, I can do what I can do. And uh, like I said, if any of y'all ever have questions about any of that stuff, y'all call somebody. You can call me anytime. If y'all ever leave me a message in the phone, I'll always call you back. If you just call and don't leave a message, I'm just going to say it now. I'll, I'll, you're too bad. So sad. I'm not calling you back. Okay, so leave me a, a, a quick little message. I got to mention real quick and wind this down. Uh, I, um, one of the things that we want to do is not cause more harm. Um, if uh, I had to make amends for some things I did with some other people before, I can't include those other people in the amends. In other words, I can't throw them under the bus. And uh, I need to tell you, uh, sometimes uh, I watch people trying to make amends to uh, older folks. Um, I, I'm not going to go to my grandmother. This was ages ago. And, uh, you know, sometimes talking to my grandmother uh, up, it just, it caused her more agitation, more anxiousness than, than it did good. You thought making the amend to my, my grandmother, it's not a fist step. They don't need to hear all the sordid detail. Well, I was drunk. And when I did this and this, that just makes, that's just more more adding more weight to them. Y'all understand it? But she didn't want to hear all that. She wanted her dead gum VCR back. It's just simple. I go, I go buy one and give it. Here you go. I took it and bam. She don't need to hear all the sordid details. Too often, what we think people want to hear is all the sordid stuff we went through. It's like making amends to your kids, folks. No, stop. There ain't one of your yeah, especially the young ones. Your little eight-year-old son does not want to hear about you eating out of a dumpster or you doing this or you doing that. It just, it's just ridiculous. Here's what it sounds like. You know, there were some times that I wasn't a very good parent. I wasn't a very good dad. And I want to be there for you. There's a lot, just, I'm going to do better now. Makes me want to cry. Yeah. D done. And then move on. Y'all got to stop. Yeah. This this um, warning to everyone. If y'all Google 
uh, eighth step, ninth step online. Uh, it's amazing how much recovery stuff is online out there. And uh, if you Google that, I guarantee you, you're going to get probably a thousand scripts that come up. Eight step, and, and a lot of times it, it's incorrectly marked, you know, so it's, it's all goofy. But you get these scripts. I've seen people in treatment use them and this kind of stuff. Here, just use this for your amends. Okay. I understand if you want to look at, see kind of how it's supposed to be done, you want to. But here's the deal. Again, I remember I mentioned it. If you're going to go to Walmart and you're going to try to return some money, some a product that you stole or something, some money, uh, you need to tell them, I, I'm in recovery. You know, I'm trying to stay sober and I need to clean this nonsense up. And they'll, they'll appreciate, otherwise they just think you're a shoplifter. They'll think you're crazy. So you give them a little, you know, okay, little groundwork to work on. I got that. Some of y'all are looking like, you've got those scripts, don't you? Throw them in the trash. Don't use the damn thing. It's like, as you can be. Guys, you can't screw this up. You're going to make an amend. You're going to stumble around. You're going to maybe make mistakes. It's okay. You're, it's a, it's a, you're opening the avenue so that you can have a conversation with that person. I uh, Last thing I want to mention, um, there are some folks out there that we can't make amends to because they have passed away. And I, uh, and I think it's kind of important, again, if I'm walking around with stuff in my head that I can't get rid of, there's an opportunity to clean this mess up. And if I can't find them at the end of the day or, or they're passed away or in certain situations um, where the folks just won't hear it, um, I think a, a letter is appropriate. And um, years after, when my father died, I was three years sober and I'd made amends to him. We had talked and uh, we were thick as thieves. All my dad was as sweet a man as you'd ever come across. And uh, um, I got so much from him. Uh, years into this, I'd, uh, I'd done some therapy around uh, uh, just the family. I, I, in, just in the process of doing some of this therapy, I, I talked about my father a bunch and realized the regrets around my father was not anything that we had arguments about. The regret around my father was that there was a bunch of stuff that I never took the time to thank him for. My dad was a hardworking, Depression-era, World War II veteran. Um, I mean, guys, he'd wake up in the morning, go to work, come back, get us up, get us ready for school, because mom was stayed up late working, and y'all understand, and then go back to work, and he'd work. I mean, this guy had a work ethic from hell. I mean, just he was awesome. And uh, he used to grab us. I just got to tell you a real quick story. We were raised out in, again, in, uh, born out in uh, West Texas. Any of y'all know where West Texas is? I mean, it's out there as far as the eye can see. You can see thunderstorms and oil rigs. And uh, he'd wake us up at, uh, you know, four o'clock in the morning. He was a photographer and, and uh, worked at a print shop, owned a print shop. And he'd wake us up, all his kids, my twin brother, my little sister, and he'd drag us up on the hill up on top of the house. He said, there's thunderstorms coming. We're going to go take pictures. And he'd get us all up there on the top of the, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do in a thunderstorm was to get on top of the roof. But it was, I mean, those are the memories that I have as kids growing up, watching these big old thunderstorms coming across that West Texas plains and, and, Ah, he taught me about geology and hunting arrowheads and fishing, you know, get us up in the morning and get, freeze our butts off, you know, saying Helgramite so we could go fishing. I mean, he spent time with us. 
And not once in all of those years did I thank him for any of that. And guys, I got to tell you, I got quiet and wrote a quick little letter thanking him for that. We were raised right on the Guadalupe River. It's right out my window. I can see it from here. And he would... Uh, they didn't want to fish in the Guadalupe River because that's where everybody fished. There was some private property about a quarter mile from where we lived. And he would get us and sneak on this, pro this private property. We'd sneak through the barbed wire fence and go fishing because that's where all the big fish was. Y'all follow? It's like, yeah. And so I got this letter and I snuck on this guy's property all these years later, guys. Okay. And I'm sneaking through that barbed wire and I sneak down there right there on the side of that stock pond where we used to go fishing. And I read him that letter. And yes, I had me a good cry. And there was a moment of closeness with my father. And there's nothing in me that doesn't think that he heard that letter. And I burned it right there. We don't, we don't burn nothing outside now. It's so dry out there. <laughs> but at the time we did, we burned it. And, 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 and there was just that sense of peace with me and my father. I could give you some other examples, but y'all can all read between the lines and understand, folks. People that have passed away, people that have gone, crazy mistakes I've made. Just you know, there's no sense in walking around uncomfortable in your skin. I got one more quick little quote. A lot of growing up takes place between it fell and I dropped it. Perfect. Perfect analogy. Perfect. Perfect way to explain it. Guys, the amend didn't have to be long and drawn out. It looks like this. I made a mistake. The hardest words that an alcoholic ever says, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Well, and so much healing can happen around that. I can't tell you the times that I've made these amends and those relationships have gotten close again. And, uh, uh, and I've been able to help in the in the in the in the long run. It it just takes effort. And I gotta say this and wrap it up real quick, guys. The I can't tell you how many people out there though want to share their own opinions on this. I'm coming straight out of the big book. And I said I, we talked about it yesterday when we first started talking. As close as we can get to the instructions that Bill Wilson is asking us to do, the better it's going to be. I think all of us are going to put our own little spin on it. We're going to add maybe some. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, this is not dogmatic. You've got to do it exactly this way. This, this buddy, whatever works, whatever feels feels right to you. But but to contradict what the book is asking you to do. I had a guy in a meeting one time when I first been sober a little while and this guy came up and one of my problems was um, financially. I mean, I owed a lot of people a lot of money and uh, you know, and I'm, this guy's sharing in a meeting, you know, and he, I'd, I'd said something about being nervous because I was going to have to make some amends to these credit card companies and uh, uh, I'm going to cut to the chase and say, like, I have perfect credit. Y'all understand? I've, I've learned from people in the program how to clean this nonsense up and I had to hit some, take some, some, some shots but um don't think you have any idea how God's going to unkink this. Your job is to get willing to do it and then watch and see what happens there. But this guy let me off the hook. The very next guy that shared said, oh, Chris, don't worry about that. You know, that credit card company has all the money they need. They don't need your money. Oh, okay. You see, but it's not about what they need. 
okay, they're going to survive if I don't pay my guess, but it's still affecting me. I can't buy a house. There's nothing spiritual about indebtedness, folks. I heard a guy one time and says, the most spiritual people I ever met were living on the streets. That's crap. I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. Just be so direct. That's ridiculous. It's scary, impoverished, not having money for food, not being able to buy some cool things that you wanted. That's that's. There's nothing free about that. Clean it up. Maybe I'd rather see a sponsee of mine declare bankruptcy and start over and keep it clean than to sit out there and dodge from creditors every time you turn around. Make make the amends. Clean them up. I can. I'll spend all the time you want. If you ever want to call me, we can visit about it. I won't do it over an email because it takes too much. But I'll absolutely, yeah. I want to be free, folks. I don't want to have my past weighing me down. All of you, real quick before I stop. If you're brand new in this little room and you don't have a passport yet, get one. Because sure as heck, you're going to want to travel. You got it? All right. I had a friend of mine um, that had an opportunity to go to Iceland. Uh, I've been a few times. And uh, if any of you guys have never been to Iceland, you need to go because it's one of the prettiest places I've ever seen. And I had the opportunity to do it. And uh, uh, the guy called me and wanted me to to go. And and uh, I couldn't because I was booked at another conference and I couldn't I couldn't go. I'm still in touch with a bunch of those people. and. Uh, but I had a friend of mine in, in Arizona that had voiced a desire to do that sometime. And I called him. This guy had been sober at the time, 25 years. And uh, and uh, I hooked him up and he says, oh, my God, Chris, I'm going to get a chance to go. And uh, he tried to get a, a passport at 25 years sober and couldn't get a passport because there was a bunch of goddamn uh, bills that he hadn't paid. There was some tickets, some legal stuff that he hadn't taken care of, and he couldn't get a passport. That's not, guys, clean it up now. Stop waiting downstream to do that, guys. Just, it, it may take some time. It took me two years to get the IRS paid off. That's a, that's the people that you don't want to mess with. You know what I'm saying? But I still got the letter someplace stuck that back in the closet of the final letter when I got all those people paid off. Sometimes you got to do it $20 at a time. It's Okay. They eventually get their money. So bless you guys. And I sure appreciate y'all being here. We'll, uh, we'll let, uh, Billy take over. Thank you.